Pastor Xavier Reese and the color of salvation. Listen, Jesus is the red thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. But if you're a non-believer, you are colorblind to that red thread. You must be born again for God to activate your spiritual color to see the red thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. It's one that comes by faith and the work of the Spirit of God. This is the person of Messiah. He's the focus. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Increasing crime, a declining economy, and growing problems in the Middle East. How do you keep the daily news from becoming the daily blues? Well, Pastor Xavier says there is really only one source of good news, and that's the promise for hope and salvation to all those who believe in the Word of the Lord. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 11 for today's encouraging study, The Kingdom to Come. A father was attempting to console and give hope to his children in the midst of a horrible civil war that had overtaken the country. Because of the destruction and all the suffering and all the terror that was going on. And so the father began to tell his children periodically and over repeatedly that one day they, they would be all right. They would have warm a warm house, the clothing, the food they needed, and that all would be restored. They wouldn't need to be fearful any longer. They could walk the streets safe. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet does throughout his prophecy of these 66 chapters, every once in a while regarding the kingdom of God upon the earth. Listen, being a Christian and living in this earth is a heck of a lot nicer than being a non-Christian. But even the best that we can experience here as Christians is nothing compared to the millennial kingdom to come. It's only a a glimpse, a shadow. And here in chapter 11, we have the classic example as Isaiah reminds Israel of the future millennium when all will be restored and Messiah will reign on the earth. Let me read this to you. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and the branch shall grow and out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eye, nor decide by the hearing of his ear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and when the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also will dwell with the lamb, and the leper will lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole, and the weaning child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious." Isaiah describes the millennial kingdom by three characteristics. 
First, the person of Messiah, verse 1 and 2. Second, the perfect justice of Messiah in verse 3 through 5. And then thirdly, the peace in the reign of Messiah in verse 6 through 10. The day is the rule of Jesus Christ in the thousand-year reign upon the earth. It is literal. It is future. It will happen. Notice first in verse 1, the promise of Messiah is unwavering. There shall come forth a rod. The main focus is that the Messiah would come. There shall come forth a rod. God promised the coming of Messiah way back in Genesis 3.15 for the first time. Of course, he was speaking about his incarnation of the seed of the woman, there the virgin birth. Because the Bible speaks about many comings of Christ in terms of more than one. The first coming is incarnation. The second coming when he comes to set up his kingdom. And then the result of that is the millennial kingdom. But he's also coming for his church, which is called the rapture. Okay? God has revealed his coming already three times. Go with me in chapter 4, verse 2. In that day, day of the Lord, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Short term, long term. Already in chapter 4, verse 2, he spoke about the millennial kingdom, the branch, the Messiah to come. Chapter 7, verse 14, the sign to Ahaz, he says, um, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. What is the millennial kingdom? God with us, in the flesh, physically, on the earth. That's the ultimate fulfillment. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the incarnation. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name is called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, in order to establish it with judgment and justice forevermore, so on and so forth. This is a good cross-reference to our text today. Excellent. Now, notice the term rod refers to the rule of Messiah. The metaphor of rod is used in two ways by Isaiah, for an instrument of judgment and an instrument of blessing. Assyria, in the previous chapter, verse 24, was the instrument of God who would be used to strike Israel with a rod, to chasten and judge his people. Then God would turn around and judge Assyria, verses 3 and 34 of chapter 10. He says, Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, will lop off the bow of the, t- of, of the terror with terror. Those of high stature with he- will hew him down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut the thickest of forests like Lebanon falling the, by the mighty one. In other words, God would use Assyria to judge his people, and then he would turn around and judge Assyria. And he says, why? Because they went beyond the measure that he wanted to use them. There is no injustice with God. Now, Isaiah doesn't object to this. Habakkuk did. Habakkuk, the prophet, if you read it, he says, oh, come on, Lord, what are you going to do? He says, if I told you, Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe it. Come on, Lord, I'm your prophet. Okay, I'm going to get Babylon, bring him down, I'm going to wipe Israel out. Oh, Lord, I can't believe it. I told you you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> and he stands on his watch. Listen, I wonder how often God has used more wicked nations to judge the nations that have turned their back on God in history and has wiped them out. I know one thing. If we look at 
England, who used to boast that the sun never went down in her kingdom, has a very little kingdom today because she has turned her back on God and God has removed her control. Any nation that has turned her back on God and God has used more wicked nations to judge those. Why? Because the judgment is always according to the measure of light. The United States is in the same road as England. We are a post-Christian nation. We are no longer Christian per se in ethic or belief. Not that we were ever a Christian nation, but we were in principle and belief. Now we are a post-Christian nation like England. We sown to the wind, we are reaping and will continue to reap the whirlwind, as Hosea says. Now notice the Messiah would be the instrument of God in contrast. The rod or the shoot who would be used to bless Israel in the future. You can't miss the sharp contrast from the previous chapter of the rod to chasten, now the rod to bless. So again, you have to read the Bible in in sections, right? You have to see the overall. You can't just stop at the chapter you read and then you come back, you forget the connection. Context. Now notice, the Messiah's origin would be from the stem of Jesse. The word stem literally means the stock or trunk of the family of David. The metaphor of a stem is for the Davidic dynasty that had been without royal power for nearly 600 years. You remember that God promised David he was going to build him a house, and Nathan said, go ahead, do what you want. And then God told Nathan, go back and tell him you spoke out of place. You know, tell him that he can because he's a man of war and he has blood on his hands, and he can't do it. But I will build him a house. And Nathan comes and tells David, and David just overwhelms He just blows his mind. He says, Lord, who am I? That you should build me a house, and you've promised that an heir is going to be upon my throne. You're just overwhelmed in gratitude. 2 Samuel 7, 16 says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now Solomon, his son, sat on the throne of his father David, but his foreign wives turned his heart away from God. 1 Kings 11, 1 records that. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and the heart of Solomon was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Now, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, as you know, came to the throne, but the kingdom already was a walking away from God. And Rehoboam, he took the advice of the younger friends of his. He went to the older guys with David, and they said, listen, your father was overtaxing the people with burdens and taxes, the building of the temple, the houses, everything. You know, cut them some slack. Give them some tax relief. And then he went to the young men. The young men said, oh, listen, if you give into this, they're going to hound you all the time. You tell them that your father was a little pinky compared to what you're going to be. You're going to be a big old thigh. And so Jeroboam came with all of Israel there. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, said, hey, listen. My dad was nothing. You watched me. And he says, everybody to his own tent. Who is David? And the kingdom was rent. God told Jeroboam, I will make you king of Israel. Ten nations up north. Rehoboam, I'll leave them too for the sake of David, Judah, and Benjamin. Now, Jeroboam had God's word by the prophet Ahijah that God gave him the kingdom. But he began to freak out thinking that the people were going to go down to the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and then go over to Rehoboam's side. So he set up the calf worship and began to institute priests that were not of the priestly tribe. 
and he fell into idolatry. Trying to hang on to something which really had been given to him through his own devices, and he lost it all. How easy it can become to us. God tells us, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that. And we start manipulating, pushing those doors ourselves, and we lose what we could have had through God. You know, we push behind the house. We push behind the car. And, you know, and they say, well, what can you afford? Forget what you're going to afford. What are you going to sell me that car for? And so they can make you afford it, but you're paying 20 years on the car. Listen, don't push. You, you break doors down. You're in them all by yourself. You make sure it's God. If he's going to give you something, no one can take it from you. But if he says he's going to give it to you, you go about to establishing your own, you get yourself in trouble. Big time. Interesting that Joseph and Mary, both of them came through the line of David. Joseph came through the line of Jeconiah, which was cursed from being on the throne. But Mary was also from the line of David. And since Joseph was not the father, it didn't matter. But they're both from the line of David. Matthew 1 and Luke 3, the genealogies show you that. One's an ascension, the other one's a descension. Very, very clear. Now notice the Messiah's identity is said to be a branch that shall grow out of his roots. Stem of Jesse. The word branch, Nesser, signifies vital life and is the same Hebrew root for one of the names of Jesus. The Nazarene in Matthew 2, 23, the fulfillment of him. Paul says that Jesus, the stem of Jesse, was born of the seed of David according to the flesh in Romans 1, 3. In Isaiah 53, it's interesting, when we get to the dividing line of chapter 40, we begin the most glorious prophecy of Jesus Christ, though we have many before that. In chapter 53, verse 2, he says, For he shall grow up from him, as a tender before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he has no former comeliness when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him there he's coupling the two as he comes to in the incarnation growing up rooted up from the stem of Jesse and also through the buffeting the mutilation of his body prior to the cross and when he comes back very possibly he will bear those same marks there's no beauty in him that we should desire him amazing he couples them together the branch was to be the Lord's servant, Zechariah 3 8 says. My servant, the branch, Jesus. The branch would be the last Adam who would redeem the fallen human race. Romans 5.12 says that very, very clear. The branch is identified by John as the line of the tribe of Judah of the root of Jesse, the root of David, who has prevailed in Revelation 5.5 and 22.16. Listen, Jesus is the red thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. But if you're a non-believer, you are colorblind to that red thread. You must be born again for God to activate your spiritual color to see the red thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. It's one that comes by faith and the work of the Spirit of God. Notice secondly in verse 2, the perfection of the Messiah is unequal to anyone. The sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit is identified by John in Revelation 1, 4, and 3, 15. It doesn't mean that there are seven Holy Spirits when John says that, but the cross-reference of John's commentary is right here. The sevenfold work of the Spirit that came upon the person of Christ, and here the ultimate in the millennial kingdom. First, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit is a permanent procession of his. Why? Because he is the anointed of God, God himself. 
You and I get the spirit by measure, as Paul tells us in Romans 12. But not Jesus. He's God. In fact, John tells us that to him was not given the spirit by measure in John 3.34. He's God. Secondly, the spirit of wisdom will be exercised by him. Wisdom describing the ability to make the best choice to bring about the end result. Through knowledge or information a person possesses. Today we live in an information age. At the flick of a finger you can have any information. But we've mistaken information and facts for wisdom. You can go to the internet, punch up anything. You can have so much information and you probably won't understand half of it. But we can repeat it like parrots. And we've confused knowledge with wisdom. He possesses both. Paul tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3. That's why we go to him for our marriages, for our walk, for our children, for our finance, for everything. We go to him because he is the ultimate. Thirdly, the spirit of understanding. Understanding identifies the ability to have comprehension, to assess the information and have insight and discretion. So the information is facts. Understanding is, is the assimilation, the accommodation, of how they work together to come about with what? Wisdom, the end product. You have the principle information, you have the process understanding, you have the product wisdom. There are a lot of foolish people today. They confuse knowledge and information with wisdom. Luke reveals that Jesus opened the understanding of the men on the road to Emmaus that they might comprehend the scriptures in Luke 24, 45. He turns on that light. We go to him. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path, Proverbs 3, 5. No matter how old we are, no matter how much victory he gives us, no matter how much he does through us, we must depend on him daily, all the time, on every level. Fourthly, the spirit of counsel. Counsel refers to the ability to give the best advice to others regarding situations or circumstances, to live properly and wisely in relationship to what? God. Never forget this. Life is always to be in relationship to God. When you define life on anything apart from God, you don't know what life is about, and you will abuse it, you will misuse it, you will throw it away. The only way you can truly invest life and get a good return is to know that life is to be lived out in relationship to God. Isaiah has called Jesus already in chapter 6, verse 6, wonderful counselor. Very important. Fifth, the spirit of might. In verse 2, might describes both the power to do anything and the authority to command it so. Jesus, throughout his ministry, demonstrated this over and over again, both in the physical and the spiritual world, being omnipotent. He told to the wind and the Sea of Galilee, be muzzled. The demoniac, come out of him. To the leper, be cleansed. To the woman who touched his hem of his garment, your faith has made you whole. To the man that was lowered down from the roof, your sins are forgiven. And the Jews said, blasphemy, only God can forgive sins that you may know they have both power and authority to forgive sins. What is harder, to say to this man, your sins be forgiven, or take up your bed and walk? Of course, on the natural realm, take up your bed and walk. He says, so that you may know they have both authority and power to forgive sins. 
Take up your bed and walk. Hmm. Six, the spirit of knowledge. Knowledge regards the things of God, the plans of God, the purposes of God, as well as man's secrets. Nothing escapes him being what? Omniscient. He knows all things. Can you imagine never having to learn anything? Can't refine, can't grow. You just are. And we just accept that as a statement of fact and faith. But we have no idea about anything like that. <laughs> we, 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 we are born dumb and we attempt to become undumb through the years. Jesus needed that no one testify of man, for he knew what was in man, John 2.25 said. Nothing ever took him by surprise. Listen, nothing ever takes God by surprise in your life. Do you know that? You often are more disappointed with yourself than God's disappointed in you. Now, be careful you don't take that to be a license to sin and that you don't take sin seriously against God. But he loves you and he cares for you. And that's why he has saved you and myself that he might live through you to enable you to live, and that he is sufficient for your life. And he wants you to depend upon him. He knows everything. Seventh, noted the spirit of fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord refers to the reverence of the Father, for he and the Father are the epitome of holiness. John tells us the Son does always those things that please the Father. In fact, he came to reveal the Father, John 8, 29, and Luke 10, 22 says. The character of Messiah, notice, is described by the sevenfold work of the Spirit. The number of completeness, even as Jesus declared the fulfillment in part in his first coming when he went to the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke 4, 18 through 20, and he took the scroll of Isaiah, was handed to him, he says, this day in your hearing, these scriptures are fulfilled. He rolled it back up and gave it back to them. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Right in the middle of verse 2, he closed up, rolled up. We didn't have books. He had rolled. Stop right there because that's the second coming. Okay? Right in the middle. Short term, long term. We've been discussing that in Isaiah a lot. Right? Completeness. Seven. Six days, you're to work. Seven, rest. A complete week. Six Years a slave was to serve, the seventh he was set free. Six years a land was to be worked, the seventh was to rest. Seven years was to be the Sabbath year. Forty-nine years, the 50th, would be this year Jubilee release. We have that imprinted in the number of Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus, in our Liberty Bell. Seven, the number of perfection. Seven's the number of completeness. You remember what Jesus taught his disciples in terms of prayer? He said this, Pray after this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy be your name, or hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is to be the cry, the desire of every believer, that we are praying constantly, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, that his will would be done in us right now as it will be done completely in the kingdom age. If your desire, if your cry is not your kingdom come, then you don't think you're going to be accountable. But if you're praying, Lord, your kingdom come, and again, we can't bring the kingdom in by our confession. Jesus brings it in. But if I am longing and I know it's going to happen, it will make a big difference how I live because I will give an account of my life. 
Pastor Xavier Reese with a healthy reminder that a good grasp of the kingdom age to come makes for a good handle of the day at hand. Now, there is more to come with the conclusion of this study next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up a copy of this message, and the title to ask for is The Kingdom to Come. It's available on CD for only $4. Just tell us which one you prefer when you get in touch. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Kingdom to Come, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. We pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Pastor Xavier Reese shares more about just when that day will come next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com